0: Lord, we do praise you this morning, agree with those prayers, and as we focus on your word, we desire that your word come alive, that we may be effective ministers in the lost culture that we live in. We desire that you uh, go way ahead of us and not only prepare people to hear the gospel, but that you might draw them to yourself as we get closer to your coming, that uh, we may make use of your time that you've given us in its best and efficient ways. So we just commit our hour this morning and desire that you would have your way amongst us. We might have fellowship, fellowship with you, to be anything that distracts us or sin, that we may confess it, and that your word would in fact enlighten our minds to be effective in our lives, that we may be effective in others. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the, on the trip, one of the neatest things was the, uh, the excitement of uh, the pastor at that last church, because he uh, only has about a couple of years of training. Most people there don't get a lot of training, and they'll go out and start churches anyway. Some of them don't have any training, but they have some basics and are motivated to share Christ with others. But he was very excited, because we were talking about him getting more training, and he said he would, but it's just too expensive, so. He gets kind of busy in the money and the time and all that. But when I told him there were seminary courses on the website, his eyes kind of went up, brightened up. So he'll probably go through all of them and more. That was kind of a neat thing, so he'll get a little bit of better training. And he'll listen to the most important courses, of course. Well, this morning we're back in the Book of Romans. And we looked at Romans 8, and we didn't get past verse 1 last time, so I've got the same outline sheet. If I inadvertently pause and look over to the side, I'm waiting for the translator to translate. Uh So, hopefully this morning we'll get through close to verse 4. Paul writing to the Romans, obviously, real people in real places, places that... You can even visit today. Some of these places existed in the first century, so the believers there were able to see them. I don't know if you remember, Sandy, when we were walking by there. We uh, were in the rain.
1: That's why I don't remember it. You it don't remember have fall.
0: <laughs> You were watching your steps. Yeah, I
1: saw my feet, yeah. My socks, yeah.
0: So now you get to take another look at it. And you remember that because the rain hadn't started yet. So, the city of Rome, people have same issues, same problems, because we're all related to Adam, with all the same basic spiritual characteristics. And we've been looking at chapter 7, and it has been given us a dark picture. Reason for that, we may not realize it, but the old nature doesn't change. The old nature that we had before we trusted in Christ... We've been totally forgiven, and Christ died for all sin, including future sin. But the old nature remains. And when we grow, it's not by improving. We saw this in chapter 7. Not by improving the old nature. It should diminish. It should die. We can live differently because of the newness of life that we have in Jesus Christ. So the old nature remains depraved. So it's just as depraved as it was before we came into a saving relationship. That's the whole point of chapter 7. But when we get to chapter 8, we have the solution and a total contrast with chapter 7. I remind you, I gave you this quotation last time, but it's a distant memory, right? The writer by the name of Spener says if Holy Scripture was a ring and the epistle to the Romans its precious stone, chapter 8 would be the sparkling part of the jewel. In other words, it shines brightly, calls attention to itself. So we're in the sanctification section, and I've been emphasizing the importance of context Context very, very important. Chapter 8 is after chapter 6, which lays out the basic principles. Principles continue, but the focus is the problems in chapter 7. And in the same context, we have the power that is available. And I stress that because when we get to verse 1, it almost sounds like he's talking about justification. But we spent some time looking at the idea of condemnation and, and its meaning and what Paul's trying to convey in chapter 8. It's in the sanctification portion, therefore it deals with more than just justification. So chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, we have the power over the sinful flesh. So after we got into chapter 7 and the end of it leaves us in a wretched, spiritual, frustrated sense. Now we get to chapter 8. We see the power over it. So 1 through 8. 1 through 4 is freedom from condemnation. There we have the word. And I'll review verse 8 quickly and then we'll pick up in verse 2. 1, verse 1, the absence of condemnation. Therefore, following what he just said, following chapter 7, therefore, following chapter 6, therefore, in the context of sanctification, therefore, not because of justification, although that would be a secondary, therefore, but I think it deals with the more immediate context. There is now no condemnation for a specific group, for those who are in Christ Jesus now the believer when he trusts in Jesus Christ is baptized into Christ Jesus that's a salvation experience but the in Christ Jesus also refers to living the life out in Christ Jesus that's Ephesians 1 several other passages but also in the book of Romans so for those who are in Christ Jesus Definitely born again, but because of the context, I believe it deals with the issue of sanctification. In fact, I, we won't go back to it, but in the King James Version, remember, it's longer. The, the verse extends and gives another phrase in there. Exactly. In other words, it's the same, pretty much the same as what we have at the end of verse 4. Verse 4 gives us enough of the context to to know that, but there is some manuscript, in fact, pretty good manuscript evidence for the addition of that little uh, additional phrase. So at the end of verse 4, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's the spiritual walk. And I think what he's doing, and the King James brings it out, That version is saying we're talking about sanctification, walking, living, and there's two options. The option of chapter 7 that leaves you wretched man that I am, and chapter 8 that emphasizes walking in the spirit. Does that make sense? And we also saw even the particular word, and I'll review that in a moment here, for condemnation is not. Only future final condemnation into eternal hell, but includes the, so it's not just the sentence, but includes, what was the word that I used? The, und- the consequences as well, and the immediate consequences. In other words, the believer that walks in the spirit is not condemned. So that would include the consequences of living in the flesh and the sinful life. So we talked about this freedom that verse 1 emphasizes. No is the first word. It's emphatic. And then now, I think he puts that in there to say, I'm talking about the context here. We're talking about sanctification here. It's not talking about back then, even though back then it refers to no condemnation as well. In Christ Jesus, that's enough to give us the hint that it's only for true believers, but it goes beyond that if you include the next phrase. Maddie, you had a question? So
1: then for believers, if, if this is indeed talking about sanctification, and we'll just say that it is, so then <laughs> there is condemnation for those who do not walk.
0: Yes, and there's that possibility. That possibility of condemnation.
1: condemnation is what you're saying is not... Say a judicial sentence, correct? But a result of living out of God's will. Yes. Is that
0: what yes. Say. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Very clear. Thank
1: you.
0: Yes. And since you bring it up, how does that work itself out? I think it works itself out in that we experience the consequences of that lifestyle. In other words. In some cases, we shorten our lives by poor habits, bad habits, sinful habits. And also, I think here's where that whole area of discipline of the Lord comes in, discipline for the believer. In other words, he intervenes, and he is, in fact, you could say, judging the believer, but it's not final judgment, and it's not judicial, as Maddie said. So it's not it's not judicial in that it's the sentence part, but it's the penalty part. That's the word I was looking for. The penalty part. There's two aspects of katakrima. In fact, I've got it on the next slide here. Justification equals forgiveness plus declaration of righteousness. That's for the believer. That's justification. Christ's death, however, I think what Paul is saying here died not only for all sins, past, present, future, but also for the sin nature that continues. In other words, his death includes the sin nature that remains with us, but he died for it as well. So we have another option to live. We have another way of living, but we have the old way of living as well. Chapter 7 is my understanding. So kata krema, Crema is just judgment, pronouncement, sentence. Kata Crema is intensified. Oftentimes when you add a preposition to a word, like you have here, kata, to Crema, it intensifies it, or it gives it another meaning, or it adds something to it. And in this case, even Art Gingrich, the standard Greek lexicon, Not merely condemnation, in other words, not merely the sentence issued by the judge, and in this case the judge judge is God, but it includes the punishment following the sentence. Remember I illustrated it with visuals last time. That is what is in view. And by the way, katakrima only occurs in two places. Both of them in Romans, or all three of them in Romans. We looked at 5.16, where it mentions both. In fact, it uses both words. mentions both aspects. The sentencing aspect, and then the punishment aspect as well. You might look up 5.16, pretty clear. And it's for the believer, it's in Christ. So eternal punishment is put on Christ once for all, at the moment of justification, but present punishment for the sin nature. There's no condemnation. For those who are walking according to the Spirit.
1: There is punishment, it's
0: not. Well, part of the punishment, remember in Romans 1, when it talks about God pouring out wrath, remember in verse 18, it's present tense. Starting the whole beginning here. Present tense, Wrath. That present tense wrath is explained because man rejects the revelation God gave. And then in verse 24, it says, therefore God gave them over. The therefore is because they rejected the revelation God gave. And that gives the present tense sense of the wrath. And the wrath, he lets mankind suffer whatever evil things that he incorporates in his life. And in some cases, Shortens your life if you're a drug addict or whatever. And he includes just those lists of all those areas, those sins. Not necessarily an exhaustive list, but many sins after verse 28. In fact, he says it three times. God gave them over to all these things. That's wrath. And I think for the believer, it's not wrath, but it's still punishment because we suffer the same consequences. In other words, you can't distinguish... If a believer has an addiction of some corpse, some kind, he experiences the same physical, detrimental issues that the unbeliever, because he's still in the flesh. Does that make sense? So, it's present punishment in this context of the sin nature.
1: Undeading?
0: Well, in a sense, it's suffering the suffering ill effects of, of sin, sins. the death of sin.
1: It's serving a sentence, meaning there's not... But God has created the world. Once sin entered the world, God was merciful, and he created the world in such a way that sin would have consequences and have painful consequences. Yes. Right? Yep. Because God loves us, and if, honestly, in <laughs> our sinful nature, if we did not experience pain because of our sin. Then what motivation would he have to turn from it? Yes, or to turn to God? That's right. We would have absolutely nothing. So God yeah. is very gracious to us. Yes, when He gives consequences. Yes, um, and and uh, for the believer, that also is grace working out because just because you're my kid doesn't mean I'm going to let you get away with whatever, right? That yep. wouldn't be exactly. Lovely.
0: And in fact, that's a good illustration. It's, a, it's a, within a family, children that are disobedient, all of you that have had children, know this. It pains you as a parent. But if you just say, oh, okay, I forgive you. I just, you know, I love you. You know, I'm a parent of love only. And like Maddie says, the child is not motivated to change because of the old nature. But when you whack them on the bottom a few times, they get the point. This is painful. Every time I do this, I get this. I don't like this. So maybe I ought to stop this. Same idea. And when the child is rebellious, you don't kick him out of the family. In other words, he doesn't lose his salvation. He doesn't not kicked out of the family. But God, as father, may choose to discipline Two ways. One, he lets us suffer the pain of what we're doing and or sometimes he intervenes. The Hebrews chapter 12 passage, I guess all of it could be considered his intervening, but more directly where it's more evident. Son is an example
1: of giving of
0: yes. Mm-hmm. Prodigal son. Very good. So beginning in verse two, we have the release from condemnation. And that's a good verse to look at. I think he gives us the key. This is pretty, this is the key. He starts off by pretty much giving the keys, and then he's going to follow by adding and reinforcing and re emphasizing. And notice for the law, wow, same word. We've seen that several times. The American Standard doesn't capitalize it. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, there's another law operating. Remember what we saw in chapter 7? The use of namas towards the end there. In fact, in one verse, I think it was used in what, at verse least? 22, 23. What about 23? And How many times in 23? Yeah.
1: The yes.
0: Line. Very good. Right. Okay. For the law of the spirit of life. Now of life there. In other words, the spirit that distributes or gives life. That's what we're talking about. New life. Walking in Christ. There's life available. That's the power. Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, again, baptized in Christ Jesus, has set you free, has set you free from the law, but we have it again, of sin and death. So let's take a look at the word law. Let me remind you, in fact, Maddie just read a couple of passages. The principle is used in this non-reference to the law, the Mosaic law, but more the idea of a principle like, and I'm going to illustrate this, more like a physical law that is part of the created realm. Some laws that God has instituted in the, the physical realm, we can't change them, they're just what they are. All right. There's some laws in the spiritual realm that are analogous to the physical realm. This is the way God has set up the universe, he's built these in. So there's this principle of evil in our members. We looked at that in chapter 7, 21, 23. And I think it's this idea or principle of sin working in the sinful nature. You can't change it. It's a spiritual kind of set law. It's a law. The analogy I used then was the law of gravity. I'm going to use it again. The law of gravity, you can try to defy it, jump off a 10-story building the only way you can defy it is if you do something that counteracts it. Otherwise, you're going to splat every time. The only way to counteract it is maybe a parachute or a jetpack or something. But you have to counteract it. It's always going to act. And it's still acting even when you're counteracting it. Okay? So it's like a principle. But then in verse 22, it refers to the law of God, which is the Mosaic law or the Mosaic covenant, more specifically. Mosaic law. This is just a review. And then we saw a different law in my members, also in that context, referring to the same one that is referred to in verse 21. So it equals 721. He also refers to the law of the mind, that equals God's word, working in the new nature. In other words, there's a new principle available. So he alludes to this new principle, the law of the mind. It's positive. That's in verse 23. You can see it kind of faintly on the slide there. So now it talks about having be being set free from the law of sin and death. That's all of that law that we talked about in chapter seven. So we have the spirit, the law of the spirit of life. That's in uh, eight two that we just looked at, and we might summarize it. it. It's a law where the Holy Spirit is working in the life of the new nature. Okay, Maddie, go ahead.
1: Um the last
0: line, I did not catch law okay okay this was in uh, 23 723 If you remember in chapter 7 I was contrasting because there seems to be this contrast throughout living in the new nature <laughs> or the new nature and the old nature in conflict like Galatians 5 says so he's using law and by the way he's using the law the word law there is what I'm stressing here in this non-mosaic, mosaic covenant idea. It's
1: another principle. Yes,
0: like a principle. An analogous to the law of sin. Yeah, and I'm going to bring that out now. Okay, so now we have the law of the spirit of life first in verse 2. That is like a spiritual law. It's like a law of gravity. Uh, of nature, when, when we allow the Holy Spirit working in our life, it only works in the new nature. But there's this law of sin and death, and by the way, law of sin, you could even say the sin nature that produces death. We've been stressing throughout. When it's talking about death, he's not talking about ceasing to breathe or your heart stopping. He's talking about this comprehensive sense Where our mind is dark and our our emotions are in turmoil. All of those death ideas. Our relationships are broken. So it includes all those emotional things. We're living in the flesh. We're experiencing death. We're not applying biblical principles. So we're living according to the way the world lives. We're emotionally sometimes distraught and all the other aspects to it. And even physically, the habits that we get into sometimes are destructive. So there's two laws that are working here. A law of the spirit of life sets us free from this law of sin and death. And that's the key. That's the only way to live a Christian life successfully, I guess we could use, or victoriously, is when we are living in the spirit. Galatians brings that out. This is what Paul is saying here. It's like a law. It's like a Boeing 747. Now, I came in in a Boeing 767. I don't think there's too much difference between the two, just 10 points or whatever. And this is just to illustrate. Wingspan, 200 feet. That happens to be uh, an Israeli. I didn't plan on an Israeli flight or airline. Speed, 550 miles per hour, kind of average airspeed. Passengers, about 300 300 passengers. Empty weight, 150 tons. Anyone in this room able to lift 150 tons? I don't see anyone up there. Pardon me? Without any cargo or passengers. You want the other weight too? Yeah. Maximum weight. Ah, wow. 330 tons. No, this is, this is the maximum weight. Yeah, fuel, uh, baggage, mail or whatever is being sent on that plane and all the fat people. Skinny ones, too. 330 tons. What's the likelihood of this airplane being just lifted off the ground? Because you have a particular law, the law of gravity. So how do you get this huge thing off the ground you have to have something that counteracts the law of gravity and here's a engineering description of how that happens If you have a wing that's why airplanes have wings and birds as well when they if you can move them through air you have this wind goes underneath and over, but with the arch, it produces something of a, I guess you could say a vacuum. Is it the best yeah, way? It's
1: pressure differential. Press, yeah, definitely. Yes, a defen-
0: and that's the yellow there. So when a Boeing 777 is going down the runway, when it reaches a certain speed, there is enough lift to counteract gravity, enough that it lifts up 330 tons of aluminum, plastic, and seats and cushions and people and cargo and everything else, enough to counteract the law of gravity that you can fly thousands of miles as long as you keep a certain speed. So when you are flying, and all pilots know if you reach a certain condition, they call it a stall, a stall speed, then you no longer are overcoming the law of gravity. And when you reach that, then you begin to fall down. So that's the principle. So when you are counteracting using these aerodynamic forces, overcome the law of gravity. The law of gravity is still acting. So the law of sin and death is still acting. But the only way to overcome it is to, to have a law that overcomes it, so it overcomes the law of sin and death, and it's only the law of the spirit of life, so only the Holy Spirit can counteract that, so in the physical example, we have a Boeing 747, still 330 tons, it didn't lose any weight, but now it can soar above clouds, does that illustrate it? So... Walking in the flesh is choosing to live in servitude to the sin nature. And it has no power. And we don't have enough self-will. Romans 7. Don't have enough self-will to overcome it. Just like there's no one here that has the strength to overcome 330 tons and get under that 777 and lift it off the ground. In fact, you may come closer to doing that than you can in overcoming the law of sin and death. So sanctification is this process where we consistently choose to walk in the Holy Spirit rather than the flesh. Make sense? I think that's what verse 2 is talking about. So we have a law that counteracts the law of sin and death. In the flesh... Chapter 7, wretchedness. So all of 7 leads us to this life is horrible. There's got to be a better alternative. Who will set me free? And it's got to be in a person. Who will set me free from this body of death? Remember that? So that's in the flesh, wretchedness. But there's freedom possible because of the question that's asked. And in chapter 8, we have the answer Freedom, verse 3 to 4, freedom, freedom given from God. Not freedom from God in the sense that we're free from him, but freedom that comes from him. That's what I intend to outline now. We have a long sentence. Three is one sentence. I was going to ask you the question, but I already gave you the answer. For what the law could not do, it's a long sentence, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, comma, so that the requirements of the law might be filled in us, comma, who do not walk, and here we have the phrase, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Same paragraph. And even though New American Standard leaves off that last part, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit, we still have it in the context. And he's kind of saying, this is what I'm talking about here. This is the context. So anyway, long sentence, you break it down. What is the main clause? Well, God did something. You
1: said somewhere no American stand that leads it off. You meant in verse 1. In
0: verse 1, okay. yeah. It, it's contained in the context in verse 4, but it's not in verse 1. King James includes it in verse 1. And there's manuscript evidence that supports that idea. It's a matter of choosing. And there's other complicated things that I explained at the beginning of the month. That only Maddie understood. (laughs) Subject of the sentence, God. God doing something. The he refers to God. So we have a compound sentence here. He condemned sin in the flesh. So those are your main clauses. Everything else is just telling us something about those main clauses. So let's look at it in more detail. For what the law... Okay, we have another law here, right? Or is this one of the old, one of the other laws? How do you know this is different? It's capitalized for the law. Nama same word though. What the law could not do—that's all of chapter seven, or at least the first part. What the law could not do—in other words, it can't sanctify. That was the stress that we emphasized in chapter seven. The law cannot sanctify. It can condemn. It can tell us what we need to do, but it can't give us the energy. It can't overcome the law of sin and death. It doesn't have enough lift. No power there. For what the law could not do, here's the Mosaic Law, so eight three through four equals seven twenty-two, we're talking about the law of God. I'm just bringing this out because we have the usage of the word law several times at the end of chapter 7 and now at the beginning of chapter 8. So we need to be careful. And Since this one's capitalized, it refers to the Mosaic Law or the Mosaic Covenant. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. That's an expansion of what we talked about in chapter 7. It can't sanctify, so don't try to live a legalistic Christian life. Oh, I'm just going to start doing what the law tells me to do, and I'm going to modify it so that I can make it. So I'm going to come up with a list of just five things. I'm going to omit all the other New Testament commandments and other Old Testament commandments. But that doesn't cut it. That's going to lead to wretchedness, weak as it was in the flesh. And here's the key. God did. The law couldn't do, God did. And the instrumentality is the spirit of life. Holy Spirit involved, but it's obviously God. The Holy Spirit is God. And by the way, you could even say, somewhat indirectly here, here's a verse that kind of indicates the deity of the Holy Spirit. God did. In fact, you have the Trinity here. God did, sending his own son. I think we have the whole doctrine of the Trinity here. Holy Spirit is mentioned. And now it speaks of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life. I don't know if you noticed, but the spirit was capitalized. Did you see that? It's probably a reference to the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit there. Now we have God the Father, who is the same as the Holy Spirit. God did, sending his own Son. We have the deity of the Son here as well. In fact, we have Christology and, can you say Trinitology? (laughs) Trinitarian theology. But Christology, we have the deity, sending of the son speaks of his pre-existence. In other words, he's pre-existent, he's eternal. You see that? Sending his son, he's pre-existent, his own son. We are sons by adoption. Jesus is son, is a son by nature, the same nature. Little phrase here, but very, very full of theology. Sending his own son, that pre-existent son that existed before he was born. And it's his own because it's his own nature. But notice the other little phrase. His own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What does that speak to? Body. Hmm?
1: The incarnation.
0: Incarnation, body, humanity. So we have pretty complete humanity. The humanity of Christ. So the likeness of sinful flesh, he's sinless, not sinful, but it appears like any ordinary person that does have a sinful flesh. So it's only in the likeness of sinful flesh, but it's also flesh, fully human. So Jesus is fully God and at the same time fully human. So we have the Holy Spirit, we have God the Father mentioned, and we have Jesus Christ, you have a full Trinitarian theology and or full Christological theology, just with a few little verses there. As, in other words, sending his son as an offering for sin. That's the crucifixion. So we have the cross involved in as well. And it's God sending. So we have the the work of God sending the Son to as an offering for sin. And in this context, that offering is not for just justification. That offering, in this context, is for sanctification as well. And back to the idea of condemned. He condemned. And here, I said katakrima occurs only three times in verse 1 and two times in chapter 5. But now we have the verb form here. So this is the same condemnation that he spoke of in chapter 1, except in the verb form. So he condemns sin, and that would include the condemnation that deals with eternity, but it also deals with the condemnation of trying to live the Christian life, this context. Make sense? A lot of stuff here, a lot of stuff there that we kind of just pass over and don't think about. Maddie, Maddie thinks about it. That's so, Got lots of questions.
1: Well, I don't think it's a question or a um, but the interesting thing is Paul's insertion of that coordinating conjunction that kept in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an author person. Yeah. So I wonder if the implication of Christ's life living mm-hmm. and his accruing righteousness. Right? His righteous power. life. And then, and then dying, offering for sin. And, and technically in the Greek, an offering for sin. Offering or is not there. The translators have filled that in. So literally it's in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. My version said on account. Right. But that's yeah. also add.
0: Right. And and by the way, that little phrase is found in the Septuagint in that exact form, referring to some sacrifices in the Old Testament.
1: Okay, if that exact phrase they're saying likeness of. No,
0: no, 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 no. no, no. After after, offering, after the end, as an offering for sin. As an offering for sin. The exact with the word offering,
1: or just.
0: Well, the Greek. It's the Greek. The Septuagint. Would have the same Greek as what you have in Romans here.
1: Yeah, but I will talk to
0: you. Okay. But notice it's katakrino, which is the verb form. So I think he's talking. He's still talking about the same condemnation, two-part condemnation, it includes the sentence as well as the penalty. So Christ condemned both aspects of sin in flesh. There's a purpose for it, so that the requirement of the law... Interesting. Here's the other side of the coin. We don't, in our self-effort, try to obey the law, but when we walk in the Spirit, we're given the power to actually fulfill what the law requires. So that the requirement of the law... and Here we have namas again with a capital translation. So that the requirement of the Mosaic law same law that we saw in verse 3, might be fulfilled in us. So when we're walking in the Spirit, we're essentially doing what the law requires. And all we need to focus on is the essence of the law, is loving God and loving one another. Everything else follows along with that. But that love comes as a result of us walking in the Spirit. Now Galatians expands it, the fruit of the spirit is what love joy love joy peace patience kindness goodness, gentleness, self-control whatever all the other ones that are left out okay so those requirements which you can find specific commandments about are fulfilled if we simply concentrate on walking in the spirit and allowing the spirit to bring you know okay this is what God expects in this situation. By faith, I step out and do what he wants. And I'm filled. This is the idea of the filling of the Spirit. The law is fulfilled in us. And that's when we are able to live a fruitful, victorious Christian life as opposed to the wretchedness of Chapter 7. And, again, we have Mosaic Law. In the hit Spirit, we have power Available to counteract, as he said in verse 2, power of sin and death, overcome the forces. And to make sure that you're clear on it, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And the idea of walking. This is the Christian walk. This is living. He uses the word walk there very frequently in the book of Ephesians, for example. It's in the section that deals with living out Christian life. So it's applicable, it's not speaking of the unbeliever. This is applicable to the believer, but more specifically the believer who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That power is available only to those that walk in the spirit. Otherwise...
1: I guess it begs the question, and I think we all think about it, about walking in the spirit, but what really...
0: Yeah. I think it's just moment by moment trusting in the Holy Spirit,
1: moment by moment asking God for direction.
0: Yep, and trusting what He has given us in His Word. In other words, somebody treats me badly; my flesh says, "Punch him out." But we know, in the Spirit, the Lord says, "The fruit of the Spirit is patience." You know, give him an opportunity to change.
1: Would you call that abiding?
0: Yeah, that's the same thing. Abiding in Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking—Galatians uses the word walking also. Living in the Spirit, living in Christ. There's lots of little phrases that are telling us the same thing, depending on the context. So he's talking about sanctification. This is the the context here. We can conclude there is hope in this life for only the Christian walking in the Spirit.
1: You said. Up to
0: I was optimistic at the beginning, and and I was in the spirit, so we were victorious. Okay, <laughs> make sense? And we're even early. Okay. okay, who wants to who wants to close for us today, Terry? Thank
1: you, Lord. Today, the Word help to walk, help us to press through us.
0: Amen.